Welcome everybody to another episode of the Places Will Go show. Now today, we've got another fantastic guest for you on the show, Andy Fowler, who's the founder and chief creative officer at the award-winning agency, Brothers and Sisters. Welcome, Andy. Thanks for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. No, the pleasure is absolutely all ours. Now, just before we get started, let me tell you a little bit more about Andy and his background. So for all of you who may not know, um, Brothers and Sisters are the agency behind the latest We Buy Any Car campaign, um, which I would say is nothing short than a national movement. It's absolutely remarkable. And I'd love to dive into that and hear a little bit more about the underpinnings of it. But actually, Andy was pivotal to the whole process because he built the agency from scratch. And today, it's become one major creative force in the UK ad scene with clients like B-Sky-B, Carphone Warehouse, Cinder Parks, and U-Switch. Now, I would say brother and sisters really do creative, transformative, commercially impactful, and genuinely uh, move the needle when it comes to creativity. And actually, creativity is a big theme, particularly in the context of AI, which I'd love to get your take on, Andy. Now, Andy describes himself as a creative entrepreneur and has a real passion for building teams and creating cultures that enable brilliant creative work. He also says that he's curious, restless, and obsessed with the place where creativity and ideas meet tech and pop culture. Hmm, I wonder what that place is. We'll have, a, we'll have a listen soon. Now, finally, Andy also says that he's not a traditional advertising chief creative officer. So I'm sure we'll get some insight into actually what makes him tick, the work that he does, and also what truly makes him stand out. So honestly, welcome, Andy. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here this sunny Friday morning. Isn't it lovely? Uh, for those who are listening back, it's, well, yeah, we're doing our usual UK Friday morning, and it's a belter going into a lovely weekend. Um, uh, so many things to cover, Andy, but uh, let, let's just get started with how's, how's 2023 shaping up? We're about at the, uh, roughly at the halfway mark. How, how's it going so far? Well, it's been, um, as you sort of alluded to uh, in the intro, Rich, it's been um, quite a, a, a sort of a unique year for brothers and sisters because we've produced this campaign that has seems to have sort of penetrated British pop culture in a way that, well, I'm not sure I've ever made anything before that's had this kind of cultural impact. <laughs> so it, it's just been a kind of a bit of a roller coaster. Um, seeing it grow wings and develop and sprout. Um, I mean, I mean, even last night on for, um, so I'll make this, say even people who are not football fans, there was a big European football final on Wednesday night where West Ham won the, uh, the sort of, one of the lesser European trophies. It's called the European Conference League, I think it is. And on the train on the way to the game, and also last night in London during the celebrations, about 50,000 West Ham fans are singing a song about one of their players to the tune of an ad, of this ad campaign that we just made for We Buy Any Car. And I, I sent a LinkedIn post last night going, I don't really know where this campaign goes from here because it's sort of just gone beyond anything we could have imagined. So the, 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 the tune goes, for those who don't know, um, the campaign is for a brand called We Buy Any Car which is um, basically uh, in the UK, a brand that kind of have disrupted the car selling market. So the old way of selling your car. Which oh, yeah. one another went. Is. Oh, that was interesting. 
was interesting. Should I keep going? Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Go for it. Keep going. <laughs> so in the in the in the UK, um, traditionally the car selling market was if you wanted to sell your car, you either had to put it into a car magazine called Auto Trader, or you did a thing called part exchange where you went down to a garage and haggled with the guy on the forecourt to swap your car. And we buy a car have disrupted that, so you can entirely sell your car online in thirty seconds. Basically, you get quite in thirty seconds. You take your car down, and it's gone. And um, we basically come yeah. up with this campaign, which is um, based on a famous meme. So um, there's a there's a, a a famous meme, which I think is relatively globally known, and it's a thing called the Friday Feeling Meme. And uh, it came out originally four or five years ago. You may know it. And it basically features this guy called Mufasa, who's in a car with his friend. He jumps out of the car. His friend says, well, his friend says, it's Friday, right? And Mufasa goes, huh? And his friend, and his friend goes, it's Friday, right? And he goes, no way. And he jumps out of the car and he does this dance to this track, which is basically the Friday feeling meme. So it's like, it's Friday and it's Saturday, Sunday. Excuse me. Let's, yeah, let's do it. Let's do Come it. On, let's do it. <laughs> it's Friday. Yeah. It's Saturday. And uh, and we were looking for basically we we our whole thing is that we love coming up with ideas that really get into pop culture. And we had a flash of inspiration where the, our brief was all around celebrating the ease of selling your car with We Bunny Car because it's so simple, right? And where that crystallizes is in the moment where you've just sold your car. You've just sold your car. You've got rid of it. You've got your Saturday back to do what you want with it because it only took thirty seconds. Uh, you've got the money in the bank. It's just the whole thing's a relief. You've avoided stress. And we wanted to celebrate that moment. So we just thought, well, one of my craves played me that meme. But he didn't just play me the meme, he changed the lyrics. Um, and this is he's one of my craves who doesn't come from a traditional advertising background, by the way, which is quite a, which is an important part of this. Of my craves don't come from ad backgrounds. They come from more entertainment-y backgrounds because that's my background, not advertising. Um, and he played me the meme, but he changed the lyrics. So instead of it going, it's Friday, then it's Saturday, Sunday, he sung to me down the phone, just sold my car to we buy any car. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I, think this could be, I, think this, I think this could be a moment. And it, par partly, the, partly because the meme is all about the view through the car. So, you know, the, the famous meme of um, the Friday feeling thing is basically it's a view through the car. You see the car door. Yes, yes. It's, it's it's almost like an original piece of visual IP. The view through a car door while the car's moving. Um, and we just thought, oh my god, it all comes together in this moment of celebration of selling your car. Um, so uh, and then yeah, it, it just seems to have. I think because it was already a meme, we hoped people might adopt it, but it's just gone bananas oh, i've never seen anything like it, it seems like uh, every day i look there's some other part of culture people are singing it and changing the lyrics and uh yeah anyway that was a very low rambly answer but hey well it certainly made your year <laughs> <laughs> isn't it fantastic though i mean imagine right the creative idea and creative genius came all of a sudden right on the on down the phone yeah. right as someone sang to you an existing meme and changed the lyrics I mean, yeah. how cool is that? I mean, that's such creativity at its best, right? It's raw. It's authentic. It's just, it's so super cool. Yeah. Um, I guess you could never have imagined the impact, right? I mean, you know, it was just, it was there. You tried it. Was it, was it easy to sell in? Did it just all happen quite naturally or was it? Well, sure. uh, well, I think we, we had a, 
sense that the client wanted to um, to get closer to, I guess you would call social media culture. We just had a sort of, they exactly said it in those words, but we just had a feeling that because they're such a populist brand, you know, they appeal to everybody who drives a car, you know, so it's not like a sort of laser targeted on one particular. I mean, it's a real mass mainstream, anyone who drives a car. And, but I just think there was a sense that they wanted to get more into kind of mobile, um, social media, meme culture, I think. And, and yeah, so we were just exploring the area. We, we love to do that. I really like the idea of, um, of sort of, uh, I mean, tr traditionally, like the way you're always taught as an, as an advertising creative, when you grow up is it's all about originality, 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 originality. You can't copy anything. And, um, I sort of think that's nonsense because, um, I think that we live in a time now where let's be honest, no one's really very interested in advertising. I don't think anyone in the real world is sitting there waiting to go, oh, I can't wait to see the next fuse.com ad or whatever it is. It's just not, that's just not the way the world is. So we just have a real big thing where we love to, well, we have a little philosophy that, uh, which, um, I call this phrase hip hop creativity. And what I mean by that is that think of hip hop. I just think hip hop's the defining musical movement of our of our era. I would I would I would say I would argue hip hop is the defining movement of our era. And hip hop's not about starting with a blank sheet of paper. Hip hop's about sampling popular artifacts in popular culture and twisting them and remix them and turning them into something new. That's what hip hop is. You know, so you don't start with a blank sheet of paper. You go and find a sample of an old 1960s soul track that everyone loves. You loop it and you turn it into something new. Um, and then you're not starting from zero. You're starting from like number 80 already. You're already so far yeah. down. The yeah. Got, so that's the philosophy that we apply to creativity, which is we don't start with a blank sheet of paper. We, start, we try and find an artifact in popular culture that's already loved reverse engineer it back into the challenge of the brand and the audience of the brand and what they're trying to achieve, twist it 20% and turn it into something new. And then to answer your question, um, when we then presented the idea to the client and obviously we've done our research, you know, there's a lot of research involved in this, um, as well as the, as well as the kind of creative epiphany moment, there's obviously a lot of research and thinking about how the pieces fit together. When we presented it to the client, um, who uh, is the founder of uh, We Buy Any Car, um, he pulled out his phone and said, I don't believe it. I send the Friday feeling mean to my friends every Friday. So <laughs> as soon as he did that, we thought, okay, we might we might have struck. Um, yeah, and and that was through research because I think we felt that meme would appeal right down. It was known by, by, from teenagers all the way up to people in their 50s and 60s. And um, so that proved to be the case. And it's it's so resonant at many levels. I mean, there's, there's always a little bit of serendipity and luck. Who knew that the mm. would you know absolutely, but, absolutely. But but it's so resonant in terms of the. It's based in neuroscience, isn't it? That the yep. hip hop creativity, drawing on things that are already registered in people's brains. And you know, if I think back to some of the things I've been involved in, one one eight, one one eight borrowed the rock with a reference to a runner. We won't go into this, all the legal wranglings around uh, the, the 118 characters. Um, if I think about the, the direct line campaign with Winston Wolf from Pulp Fiction, uh, and uh, a lot, you know, the 
Orlando would would talk to using characters that are already established in people's brains and borrowed some of that. It's a fascinating story, so resonant. Um, I mean, we started today. I, I actually want to go all the way back to some, what, what are some of the foundations that has got to this point? Um, so t- tell us how you, how you got started in, in the world of advertising at all. Mm. Well, my story's a little bit uh, crazy and unusual for an advertising person. Um, and that's because, I mean, I didn't really, I mean, this, the, it's probably not unusual to say that I had no idea the creative industries was even a thing. I had no idea. I grew up in the West Midlands in a little village. Um, uh, no, absolutely zero idea in my education that creativity was a, was a thing uh, in any way, shape or form. I went to a university to do history and politics, uh, which was pretty random. Um, I, you know, for only for the reason that I like writing. I enjoyed, I enjoyed writing. I was one of those unusual people that quite like writing essays. Wasn't really into science. I like, I've always liked language. I've liked words. I liked reading. Um, went to university, did a history and politics degree. Left university in the early 90s, showing my age. And uh, I was living just with my dad in a house in Birmingham. My parents just got divorced. Wasn't, wasn't a great time. And, uh, my dad, uh, had a little business in the center of Birmingham. I left university. I went and was working for him. And I was like, I've got to get out of this. This is, this is not good. I need to, you know, what the hell am I going to do with my life? I've got no idea. And, um, when I tell creatives that when I tell um, students this, they always laugh because it's so hard to imagine a world before the internet. So a world before the internet, um, I went to my local library in my village and I thought I'm going to get the addresses of all the TV companies in London because I thought, okay, TV sounds quite fun or maybe journalism. Um, I did get, I had a week of ex- work experience actually at Granada TV once through a, through a friend, but I didn't really need anywhere. So I went to my library and I got a list of all the TV companies in London, Channel 4, Sky, BBC, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I... So I'm a, I sort of word processor or whatever it was and um, wrote a letter and said, you know, this is who I am, very random. I'd love a week of work experience. Walked to the post box, <laughs> no emails, posted it, posted these 20 letters in the post box. Um, I didn't know a single person in London, not one. Um, wrote these letters. Um, I think I'd forgotten about it. A few weeks later, a, a letter came through the letterbox from sky and it was from the the assistant the pa to the uh the the md or the ceo of sky sports i'm a big sports fan i always have been and um i remember her name well she was called lindy henneberg that's who the letter was from she was uh the ceo of sky who's called vic wakeling it was his pa i'll be eternally grateful to her she was the only person who replied and she said in her letter um thank you for your email thank you for your letter sorry um, if you're ever in London, then please, yes, come in for a week's work experience. So obviously I rang the next day and said, I'm in London from Monday. <laughs> no idea where I'm going to stay. Um, will you have me in for a week? And, um, I managed to find a sort of distant relative who had a friend who lived in a place called Southgate in very North of London. Skies, for those who don't know the geography, like in London, the Piccadilly line is a very long tube line that starts in the North and goes. Um, it goes right across London and um, 
it takes about an hour and a half to get one line to the, one one length the length of this line and i um stayed on my friends on my distant distant relative sofa in southgate and traveled an hour and a half each day down to sky which is near heathrow airport out to the west and um i was making the tea for the presenters on sports shows rolling the auto cue making their tea i did that for two or three weeks and then after about two or three weeks, I thought, I sort of think I said, are you going to start paying me? Because seem, I seem to still be here. And uh, I just thought, I'm not going to leave until they start paying me. And it, I just tried to make myself useful. And in the end, they offered me a, a job. And uh, that, but that was really in, in sports program making. That was in live sports broadcasting for live football on Sky Sports or live cricket. Wow. Sports magazine programs. So... I did that for about a year and then um, <clears throat> I started because Sky's a big was a big dynamic organization I started to, I was looking around and kind of going not sure about this live sport thing it doesn't feel very I don't know me being into writing and I sort of was va becoming vaguely aware of things I was interested in and I thought I don't the pathway to this appears to be traveling the country doing working on in live OB trucks outside broadcast trucks this weird nomadic life people seem to be drinking too much and I, I didn't really like the look of it and then but what I did see I, I saw there was an internal department which was like an internal um kind of agency that was making all the trailers for the programs so I had a friend called Dom who I'd met in the canteen or something and he used to his job he told me his job was what he did was every week they would give him three digi beta tapes going back a little bit here and uh, his job was to watch these these two-hour movies, movies that were coming out on Sky. And his job was to make a 60-second trailer for each of those movies. That was his job. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. So you've got you have to kind of boil down a really complicated narrative into 60 seconds. That's your job. And uh, so I proactively wrote some scripts for some for some movie trailers and for some sports. Uh, oh, I think I think for some for a couple of football trailers and I took it to a guy called Barry who became a friend of mine and said I quite like the look at what you do here's I've written some scripts for some trailers what do you think and he was like oh okay these are quite promising and he took them to his boss uh who's a on an Aussie guy called Bruce and eventually I got a job and I moved into the what was the department that made trailers um wow that was it my job was to you know to, you had to be a one a one man one woman um um, band where your job was to you were given a movie, you had to log the movie, you had to come up with an idea you had to write a script, I learned to edit I did my own editing um, I would find my own music, so you became this this one person band you learned all the processes effectively of doing the voiceover, doing the graphics so you you learned the entire process of turning something complicated and I, and I started to think I love this discipline of try, how do you boil something really complicated down into three words uh, you know that's a real and that's really where it all came from for me was that 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 thing that was my start point and quite an unusual quite an unusual path but there are quite a few people in the ad industry actually who came from making um trailers you know from those in-house departments at channel four or sky or bbc so yeah oh, that was just, what a what a fascinating story andy and uh hey lindy if you're listening in thank you right and and, and dom too um, yeah it's it's funny because as you were reciting that story and you were talking about what Dom does, um, 
I was like, you know, you, you took you took the more strategic end, and when I actually went, you know, distilling information down into sixty seconds, I was like, you just get to watch movies the whole day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow, you know, not a bad life. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's not, true. Not a bad life at all. But um, I actually want to come back to a second, and something that I, I mentioned in the intro, and and what you've what you talked of when your when your creative sort of was was talking to you down the phone in the campaign that's now become the hit sensation of We Buy Any Car. It's all around culture. Because clearly, you know, you have a team around you, and one of the things that you you look for and you seek out is to create the right environment and culture to let creativity thrive and shine. Um, and I want to maybe explore that a little bit more as to how you do that and how do you create environments and cultures that enable creativity to kind of get sparked um, and then ideas to come and, and evolve into what they are. Well, it's a very good question, and it's sort of a million-dollar question, really, isn't it? And it's, uh, and the, I'm not sure there is one particular silver bullet. Um, I can probably give a few different answers. I'm trying to keep it short. I mean, I guess. So, one thing I will say is what's been really beneficial to me as a small agency in the last three or four years. If we talk about that first of all, is that previously. Um, until the pandemic, because everybody had to come into an office, because nobody ever questioned that. That's just the way things were since Victorian times. And, you know, no one even dared to question that idea. Uh, if someone said they wanted to work from home on a Friday, everyone would sort of roll their eyes and go, oh, right, yeah, of course you do. Um, you know, that's just the way it was. So you were quite restricted by only being able to work with um, people who lived in London and who'd moved to London and what has been incredible for me since the pandemic is that i've worked with creative people who live in amsterdam in america in wales in the lake district we had um we have a, a freelance creative called emma who we've worked a lot with the last few years she lives in a yurt in the mountains in portugal amazing um, and so that ability to be able to fire off a brief to people who are in completely different headspaces in different environments from different backgrounds who aren't even advertising people necessarily and to create these kind of little writing rooms where you all dive on a zoom from different places in the world people from different backgrounds different environments different perspectives and be able to discuss a brief compared to just compared to the old way of sitting in a room with a bunch of trained advertising creatives who were all from London, have all had a similar path and have all have all probably got not dissimilar life stories and are all sitting in a room. It's a much richer, it's a much richer experience to have all these different types of people, different backgrounds, different, you know, mindsets, different locations. Um, so I found that very creatively stimulating. And because a lot of these people, like the guy, uh, my friend Charlie, who wrote the We Buy Any Car idea, who doesn't come from an advertising background at all. His background was, um, uh, he used to, he founded an agency in LA a few years ago called Donut, which was um, set up by two movie um, directors called the Duplass Brothers. They're kind of a art house um, American movie directors. And they had, they set up this little agency to make uh, branded entertainment, basically. And Charlie, whose life has been making entertainment, was out there. He was making like short form series for snapchat and things like that so to have access to somebody like him who doesn't want to live in london doesn't want to work in the ad industry but is quite up for doing a few days on a brief 
to have him coming and singing just sold my car till we made a car down the phone to me pretty amazing so i would say yeah maybe to answer your question the first answer would be like not to restrict the idea of what the creative process has to be to a bunch of advertising creatives who've come from advertising colleges and many of them uh you know sadly still to this day you know this kind of bunch of white middle class people all sitting in a room from similar backgrounds talking about brief because they're the lucky ones who've had the privilege to go through this formula to get into the ad industry i mean you're limiting your you're limiting yourself to that whereas if you can suddenly blow that idea out and open your mind to what kind of people from what kind of you know perspectives experiences my input into this brief then you're going to get a much richer experience um i think it's um wonderful, wonderful. quite unique to hear somebody talk so positively about what pandemic has meant for ways of working practices because typically people lament about you know i can't get people into the office and i've lost that sense you know and i feel that that sense of sort of virtual leadership which um on the on in-person leadership has disappeared so wonderful i mean it's a you know you, you talk about emancipating talent really right really? well, america wales the lakes and portugal um <laughs> now so you also said at the top and you maybe already given us a little bit of a flavor of this you describe yourself as a as a creative entrepreneur yeah and um, we've, we've seen some of the outputs of that but what would you say are the skills that you've got or developed enable you to be a successful creative entrepreneur what is it about you that makes that work well, it's such a difficult question is it? i'm never very comfortable answering this question because it's, it's so hard to sort of own own abilities yeah. or, or lack of abilities to be honest um um well i mean i suppose where i would start first of all and maybe maybe and say is because people always say to me how did, first of all, how did you start your own business? Because that must have been really scary because you've had a decent job, you were well paid, and why would you have taken the risk? Which I did at a point when my wife was pregnant, actually, with our first daughter, Missy, who's now 17. Um, I gave up my um, solid job to start this little thing called Brothers and Sisters. I had no idea if it would what would happen. Um, and I guess reason I... I suppose the, the thing that I'm grateful for, I guess, and the, why, I'm, why I'm very lucky and privileged is I grew up in a family where everybody worked for themselves. My family was my granddad, both my granddads and my dad ran their own businesses. So to me, the most normal thing in the world was to start your own thing. I, I, I recognize that is a massive, massive advantage. I, I don't, underestimate that if you're in an environment where you've seen where all the conversations over Sunday lunch between your dad and your granddad even though you don't even realize it are about running a business and what that is even though it wasn't necessarily creative business they were more like manufacturing businesses but still there's creativity involved right um that was I guess absorbing that made that very normal so I think I'm incredibly lucky for that so that's probably the first thing um, I don't know, like what makes us from Craven. I mean, I suppose the the qualities that I admire and I try and adhere to, I guess, are firstly probably the the quality that I value more than anything. I think is just humility. 
um i i really really don't like ego at all and hopefully in the history of brothers and sisters we've um largely managed to navigate and and done okay because we've either tried to hire people who don't have an ego and are always willing to learn and always want to ask questions and not think they know everything um and hopefully also you know we've just had that as a cultural thing and so everybody nobody ever sees each other as being better than anybody else everybody is always willing to listen to learn from each other i think that the day you stop learning you know it's a bit of a cliche but the day you stop learning is like so i personally don't think i know very much to be honest i mean i i i think that i improve every day and i learn every day and um you know i, I noticed now actually we some pitches we've done recently i'm you know, I think self-aware that when I first started Brothers and Sisters, I literally had no idea what I was doing. Like, I had absolute yeah. idea. Like, not a clue. And was pretty useless, probably. And somehow managed to just about survive and get through. But I think it's just about learning and improving every day. Getting better and better. Sur surrounding yourself with people who are better than you. Um, uh, I guess the entrepreneur bit is always looking for new opportunities. It's kind of... Um, never seeing limits i was reading the um elon musk book recently and found it one of his biographies i can't remember which one who's by but i found it fascinating that i got a sense that a big part of um his uh life is the fact that in his childhood there were just no limits because his grandparent his granddad had a plane and in their similar some holidays they used to fly to the middle of africa uh, and just like dump the plane somewhere in the desert and then just camp just crazy childhood of just everyone just basically did there were no limits they did anything and everything and there was the, the world was so huge and um i i recognize a tiny bit of that in myself that i was extremely lucky that my childhood i was shown a lot of the world and a lot of possibility and um and that has definitely sort of benefited me, I guess. Oh, wonderful, Andy. Um, and I think your your humility absolutely shines through in spades. But like you say, the uncertainty of, of starting something from scratch, you know, um, and certainly in the early days, right? You know, it, it, setting things up is, is no easy feat whatsoever. Hey, everyone. Just wanted to take a pause for a minute to signpost one of our incredible sponsors for the show. The Marketing Lounge Partnership are a specialist loyalty and CRM agency that works with blue chip clients on helping them engage their customers. Think about sales promotion and incentives. Think loyalty programs. Think CRM and ways to engage customers through email, social, and a range of channels. I really rate the team and think they always truly deliver. So check them out if it's of interest. Alrighty, back over to the show. I think we're on the cusp of another revolutionary change in the industry at the moment, which is all around the role of AI. And I'd love to get your take on how you think things will evolve in this way, you know, in, in using more tools and an agency like yours may be sitting on the, you know, on the cusp of, of being able to take advantage of some of those AI tools that are out there. How do you see it playing out? Well, it's another million-dollar question, isn't it? And no one really, no, I, no one really coming knows. Coming up with a few of them this morning. No 
one really knows the answer. Yeah, yeah, really giving me the easy ones here. My God. I mean, I mean, first of all, I suppose what I would say, and most agency people will say this, I'm sure, that even in the last six months, it's been a bit of a revolution in terms of how we've just started to apply a bit of AI to our own ways of working. So even me as a creative person, a creative leader, I guess, in a few of our pitches in the last six months, even just the opportunity to use Midjourney to help create more amazing visual reference has been pretty amazing, actually. Compared to the old days when you had to, you know, get a designer to comp together, to kind of cobble something together, or you had to do a colored, you know, a colored drawing, commissioner, you know, an illustrator, a storyboard artist. And clearly there's a skill to, you know, um, the skill in itself to um, the terminology and the use of language to get the machine to to do what you want it to do. We luckily enough have a um, a young creative on our team called Zuza who is tech obsessed and she's pretty good at it. So that's been a bit of a revolution. Um, looking forwards, I mean, my God, I mean, how do you how do you even ask that question? Because no one really knows the answer, do they? I mean, I think all I can say is that. I do honestly think that no matter, even though the technology has moved on at a phenomenal pace and, um, you know, it's even almost like day by day by day, almost we're seeing yeah. things in LinkedIn or in culture, we go, oh my God, it's leapt again. I still would like to think and believe that the sophistication of the human brain, the nuance, the evolution, the billions and billions and billions of connections that exist in our brain the kind of um cray of leap that charlie had on the phone when he rang me i i would still like to believe that although many of the less skilled tasks may be subsumed by um uh, ai like for example you know copywriting for instagram or you know once you once, yep. you, once you've got a template to to avoid lots of lots of labor intensive work by setting off ai to fill in the template once the idea has been filled um i can i can see how how that will save a lot of time but i would hope that the bit at the very very top and um i did some awards judging with nils leonard the other week and heard him talking about this as well that i i, I think that hopefully the bit at the top which is the value of the most creative bit. So like real, real creativity bought on by millions of years of evolution of the human brain, being able to make connections, like drawing on, because it's almost like every idea, every thought we have, every idea we have is a product of, the, of everything we've done in our lives. It's like Honda once had an end line, which is everything we do goes into everything we do. And I yeah. feel like that's the thing AI cannot yet match is it cannot pull together my, you know, I'm, I was 51 last week. I mean, I, hopefully I'm a product of 51 years of experiences. And every day there are thousands of things that happen to me. I make thousands of decisions, you know, that complexity and experience hopefully can produce occasionally, um, very occasionally <laughs> little eureka moments. And I, I, I hope, and I believe that AI is will not be for some time capable of truly 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 doing what charlie did when he ran me up and came up with that creative leap um whereas i think a lot of the stuff which is more filling in templates and less skilled will uh, be taken over so hopefully 
you know, our true creativity of the creative leap will be more and more and more valued in a world where we're so oversaturated with media and it's so difficult to stand out. Maybe that true skill of will will still be valued in, I'm not going to say 100 years, let's say 10 years. I don't want to go any further than that. <laughs> it, uh, um, yeah, I mean, who knows? Yeah, I, I love that. 50, uh, 51 years of experience for the Eureka. You remind me of the story. I won't sort of name the names of the client or anything, but of the, the copywriter who was, you know, had a bit of a slightly arsy client. And yeah. where's where's my where's my um, press ad? It was. Uh, he he produces it, and then the client says, "Come on, how long did that take to write?" <laughs> yeah, thirty-two years, four months, seventeen days, and eleven minutes. Yeah. And, uh, it, it says it all, doesn't it? Well, we'll we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's a fast-evolving debate. Um, I'm going to change direction a little bit. Uh, you've mentioned some people that have influenced you. Again, you know, thanks to Lindy uh, back in the day. But but in terms of mentoring, I mean, it's quite lonely at the top of organisations as as founders in in the C-suite. So where where do you get your support and nourishment and advice and guidance? Well, it is lonely. I would say that's true. And um, I wouldn't really say that I've had one consistent mentor. I would say I'm going to name three people very, very briefly. The first one um, is my grandfather um, who changed the course of my family's history because my family was um, going back 60 or 70 years ago was a, on my father's side, was a, was a quite a poor working class family um, lived in uh, Leicester and in Birmingham and my granddad um, Fred Fred Fowler uh, were, is an amazing rare story of social mobility which has always inspired me which is that he was the youngest of eight brothers and sisters he got an apprenticeship at Austin Rover which is the huge used to be the huge car plant in the south of Birmingham British Leyland got an apprenticeship there and uh, he was obviously a bright guy uh, he had a photographic memory as well which is uh crazy and for some reason he was hugely motivated and he told he always used to tell me this story when he was a kid that he told his family he always said he says he didn't used to have any shoes that's how poor he was I, I don't know whether to believe that but that's what he said and um he always said that he would drive he used to tell his family that he would drive back down the street on his 40th birthday driving a rolls royce and they would all laugh at him and he did it on his 30th birthday and he completely changed the course of my family's life um he ended up setting up his, his own engineering company and and sort of um owning the um the patent on a load of uh, specific drill bits was his thing it was about drills um anyway so he, he's he i suppose just his influence on the idea that if anything if anything was possible had a has had a massive influence on me huge huge influence the second one would be a guy at Sky called Barry Skolnick, who ended up becoming a great friend of mine, who was the creative director of Sky for many years, and he was the guy who really believed in me, probably before anybody else did, and saw that maybe as a writer and as a creative person, I had some ability. Um, we went from being colleagues to friends to ultimately he was sort of my client really for many years because when I started Brothers and Sisters, he believed in us, brought us on, and we ended up working together for sort of 10 years really as kind of friends but kind of client and agency and so he's 
influence uh, was huge, I would say. Also because he was a very unusual, because he was a creative person who'd gone very, very high in a big corporate organization. So he really valued creativity, which uh, is, you know, I mean, he was almost an in-house creative director before that became a thing. It's obviously a massive thing yes. where clients have their own in-house. That's the, he's the second one. And then the third one would be, there would be, there would be the, the reason why brothers and sisters, I've turned brothers and sisters to become a not-for-profit. I believe we're the only not-for-profit creative agency in the world, as far as I'm aware. And that's a guy called Rupert Taylor. So I've always lived around for 25 years around Labrock Grove in West London. I can almost see the Grenfell Tower out of my window now as I look. I live up in a place called Kensal Rise, just up the hill from Notting Hill. But those who don't know, it's in West London. Uh, I started Brothers and Sisters in the in that area. Uh, in Labrock Grove. It's an area of massive disparity between rich and poor. It's an incredible melting pot of an area. Um, which many has many famous um, cultural movements, musical movements have come out of the area. Um, and I started the agency there and I always wanted to put something back. My kids were born in the area. In 2017, something beyond imaginably terrible happened in the area, something called the Grenfell Fire. And what happened was um, due to t horrendous neglect, uh, 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 a tower block went up in flames and 72 people lost their lives. And it had a huge effect on me as somebody from the area. Uh, a, a teacher in my daughter's school um, lost all her family in it, um, <clears throat> beyond imagination. And, and, I wa and I wanted to, I was, I sort of didn't really know what I wanted to do exactly, but I thought, okay, I want to try and um, uh, help in some way, shape or form, as many people in the area did. And um, I ended up working in the local community center um, just opposite the tower for two weeks. I took two weeks off work and um, helped out handing clothing to guys who'd lost everything in the fire. Like lost everything. Imagine you've lost everything you own, your phone, your wallet, your your photography your clothes like everything everything these guys were still wearing the kind of charred clothes that they'd escaped the fire with and a lot of um, people like nike and selfridges were sending lorries down of clothes to hand out and so i met about 50 families because i was just lucky enough to be in this one community center called the rugby portobello trust which was the one place that all the community trusted because they were they didn't let celebrities in they didn't let the media in. They didn't let royals in. So it was the real safe haven for the community. So I had an, uh, uh, well, a, a horrific, but also a, an amazing week meeting all these people. And that was the week where I, that was the week where I felt like I was, after 20 years of making ads, that was the week where I felt I was for the first time was doing something valuable, weirdly. And after that, I thought I really wanted to stay involved uh, in the community somehow and I met a guy called this guy called Rupert Taylor which is the person I wanted to talk about and he's an amazing community leader he spent his life working with young people in the community you know people from the Grenfell community um, a very very diverse group of young people none of whom were particularly born into any kind of privilege and and he's a very inspiring guy and he told me he was starting a football team for the survivors and the bereaved and the community called Grenfell Athletic and I said, well, I'd like to help with that. And so I and brothers and sisters have spent the last five years using every spare bit of our time, money, energy, creativity 
to help this football club to become financially sustainable. We've developed relationships with Nike, Cadbury, Soho House. We've created mentor schemes for young people in the community. So I would say Rupert's influence on me as far as thinking about what my legacy can be, how I can help brothers and sisters to use our creativity to do good, thinking about um, what's the measure of success, you know, um, uh, and and even to the extent where I've ended up changing what brothers and sisters is to become a not-for-profit, you know, really took, I suppose, to start a conversation about what profit is in an industry, which is, of course, advertising, you know, it's almost like, I mean, it's a contradiction in terms. How can you be a not-for-profit advertising agency? Because that's all about growth and about profitability and um and that's of course what we do we help our clients to grow but what we do with our profit is our is our business um and uh yeah so rupert's been very influential on me as far as um how i look at my work and my life it's a very long answer sorry about that yeah and it's um it's an incredible answer Kind of helps to put everything into perspective uh, about what's important, uh, and, and actually a, a great way to finish the session. Um, so I'm going to pull together a few key thoughts coming out of it, um, and and give you a big thank you. Uh, so let's just do a bit of a recap of what we've heard. Well, let's get started by saying let's go. You should go out and buy a swanky tuxedo for those award ceremonies. <laughs> uh, for we buy any car campaign which has caught the imagination of the nation got everyone dancing um and yes has borrowed upon uh, or sampled in a hip-hop creativity sense uh, other references but 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 what a what a way to uh round 2023 uh, a bit of a serendipity a bit of neuroscience but what a belter so that goes to a strong start um we, we then heard a little bit about, uh, well, and thank you again to Lindy Henenberg about you didn't even know the creative industry existed. Uh, you did get an opportunity. You made yourself useful at Sky and then uh, cheekily asked for some cash and the rest is kind of history. Writing trailer scripts. The key thing I think I heard there was boiling it down into three words. Probably this was a great testing ground. You said others came through that route of getting creativity down into something digestible. Um, how, how, do you, how do you spark talent? fascinating to hear about the benefits of emancipating talent geographically through these virtual times, um, which is a good reprise on many people, as I said, bemoaning the fact that they can't be face to face. What does it take to be a creative entrepreneur? Uh, it's about humility rather than ego. Uh, and the day you stop learning is, well, you didn't finish the sentence, but I think we all know the answer there. I'd never heard the story about Steve Jobs, the no limits, the you know, the flights, the fact that you similarly in a, in a similar way had been shown possibility. Uh, lovely to hear that. We had some, some reflections on AI. I'd love to meet Zuza, by the way. Uh, sounds like a rock star. Uh, hopefully the human brain can stay ahead of the templates. Um, we are indeed all a product of our past and those 51 years of experience still leads to the Eurekas, dot, 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 you know, the, the involvement or maybe the, the, uh, in immediate response that the We Buy Any Car was was going to be magical. But I think we ended super strong. Uh, when I asked you about loneliness and mentoring, I probably wasn't expecting that as an answer. Uh, but you talked about three people. So to, to Grandfather Fred, um, what a case of social mobility, really, uh, you know, rising up in brilliance, um, really showing that anything's possible. Uh, and I, I can 
visualize, you know, the Rolls Royce rocking down the street and uh, everyone being very happy for him. And then, and then, of course, about Grenfell, which, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's only six years ago um, and was such an event for, for the UK. And what that's inspired in you in terms of helping to set up Grenfell Athletic and such a perspective and bring everything into, uh, into line in terms of what's important. So um, that was truly inspiring way to end. And, and generally, and it's been super inspirational. Um, you can understand why you've been successful as a creative entrepreneur because you do think a little bit differently. Uh, you've had uh, some, uh, some different starting points and journeys along the way. Uh, and I think it'll be tremendously inspiring for people listening in in terms of anything is genuinely possible. You've probably got to set yourself up with the right stimulus um, and maybe you need a little bit of road and serendipity um, and you've got to put yourself forward and make yourself useful. But uh, truly a great example of anything is possible. So thank you again, Andy. Thank you, guys. It's been, a, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you.